Gracious Father, we come again and open up this book we call Galatians. And Lord, it's, it's so easy to feel like we just stepped into an argument. And in some ways, we, we, we're obviously on the side of Paul because he's the one writing and we know he's your servant and apostle. But Lord, especially tonight, help us really understand the foundation of this issue. Understand what's at the core. Understand really what both sides are arguing, even though we have one we acknowledge, Lord. But help us see the argument of the other side. Because we acknowledge that nothing short of what is this new thing that ultimately will be called Christianity is, is really being answered, is at stake. And Lord, help us see that and then prepare our hearts and minds for what's going to come in the rest of Galatians in this very uh, deep, important letter as we see the foundation being laid tonight. Help us see what it means to truly be justified, saved, a child of yours. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we are our second night in Galatians. Last week we did an intro and, and looked at some of the issues and looked at the um, first uh, 10 chapters. Again, tonight we're going to go through what is still uh, basically uh, introductory or foundational items. We're going to go to uh, verse 11 in chapter 2. And it's going to be a lot of Paul talking about Paul, talking about how he came to faith and how he received his, the gospel and his interaction particularly with other uh, apostles or the church in Jerusalem. And we can look at all this and go, okay, he's just spending all this time talking about himself. What's he doing? And it's incredibly important to see the context that's in play in Galatians because it's going to be the flavor throughout the rest of the book. When he starts talking about next week, what does it mean to be justified or, in other words, saved? We have to understand the context to which um, the letter's being written for us to understand what he's saying. Um, so we want to lay that tonight. I want to start again with our timeline. I put most of this up last night. I've added a couple things that are going to be in tonight's passage. Things we know and things we think we know. First, Paul's conversion, it's in Acts 9. Paul, as he's going to say in tonight's passage, was a persecutor of the church. He was a Jew, a Pharisee, who took it upon himself to go and try and crush and destroy this thing called the way, which ultimately becomes Christianity. And, and he's being successful at it. He's uh, sanctioning people being killed. He's dragging people out of churches back to Jerusalem to stand trial in the Jewish uh, courts. So he'd be, what well, if you were a Jew, a really, or I mean, if you were a follower of the way, follower of Jesus, a really bad guy. So he has this dramatic conversion in Acts 9. He's going to refer to it, and we're, we're going to wait to get to that. And we place that around 33 to 35, and that's really based on uh, this series of things that we back into this. 
And then we're going to hear tonight about the first visit to Jerusalem. It's found in Acts 9, 26, 30. Um, It's the first time he goes there. And when you read Acts, it seems like he has the road to Damascus experience and he immediately goes to Jerusalem. But he's going to tell us that it's three years till he goes. Now, three years to us is three years go by and then you go. In their world... In the third year is the third year. So it could be two years and one month, two years and three months, or it could be two years and 11 and a half months. So it's somewhere between two and three years that he goes up to Jerusalem the first time. Then there's a second trip, and we're going to actually look at that. That's 14 years, we believe, from this date. It's significant from the standpoint of that it's the... the uh, Gentile, as they're often called, churches, collecting money and sending it to Jerusalem to help out with the famine that's going to happen and thus does happen. He's going to call that the second journey. And then that's followed on by the first missionary journey. There's only so much I can get in the line. In 13, in Acts, I also can't get the word Acts in here. And we think that's around 47, 48. Then we think Galatians. Galatians is written clearly sometime between 48 and 58. And it depends on, again, as we talked about last week, northern Galatia, southern Galatia, pre-Jerusalem, Council Acts 15, post, all this stuff. But a pretty sound footing with people like uh, Doug Moo and uh, uh, Schreiner, um, Tom Schreiner. We're going to loosely take 48 Again, that would make it the earliest letter that we have Paul's written. And then shortly after that, a year or so, or even maybe nine, ten months, is Jerusalem Council. We're going to be talking about that throughout this letter because the Jerusalem Council makes the decision. They decide the way it's going to be. End of discussion, boom, this is it. And the reason we think this letter is written before that council, because if it had written afterwards, Paul would be saying, as it was decided in Jerusalem by these pillars of the church, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow Mosaic law to be, at this time it would be Christian, to be a Christian. He would be saying that throughout the letter, and the mere fact that he isn't makes us think he wrote this before the council happened. Okay? So a little refresher of all that. So let's dive in and see what Paul's got to say. He's just talked about it. He's just gotten really upset with them. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you grace. Okay, remember, we think this letter's written a year, year and a half after he started these churches and evangelized these. And so the connector for. For I'd have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabah and returned again to Damascus. But after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I'm, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Caesarea, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. First off, why is he going, and, and we're the whole night's passage is going to be about him and the gospel. Why is he spending so much time? I mean, there's only six chapters in Galatians, and he's spending well over a chapter on this credentialing himself, defending himself, defending his gospel. Why is this so critical? Why does he start off with it and spend so much time on it? Well, if I'm going to teach you anything, you have to think that of what I'm teaching you is of value, and second, that I actually know how to teach it, that I have some authority, some knowledge of it. Otherwise, why would you listen to me? And clearly, it seems he was attacked by these individuals, these instigators, we're going to call them Judaizers, uh, that have appeared on the scene. So he's going back again in great detail, probably greater detail than he ever did before, telling them about himself and his gospel or his message. And he starts off, I want to know, you brothers, that the gospel that I was preached by me is no man's gospel. That which I preached came from no man. I wasn't taught it. I didn't receive it from a man. It's a revelation of God. And you, you could be thinking, okay, who cares? Well, if I told you this right here was the writings of humans, that it came from humans, is taught by humans, and is the basis of its authority is on humanity, you would probably go, okay, that changes things. If this is anything than a revelation of God, we have to ask ourselves, why are we bothering to read a flawed document written by flawed people? So what Paul is saying is, I, that which I'm preaching was revealed to me by God. Now remember, there's no New Testament at this time. So what would he be basing on? It isn't like he's a preacher and he opens up the Bible and he teaches on this section the Gospels, and there's some discussion on this, may or may not have been written. At least one of them may or may not. Paul may, in 48, be aware, not be aware. And that would be the only thing. If this is the first of Paul's letter, he's certainly not reading his own letters. So this scripture, this revelation of God, is directly from God to Paul. So clearly what's being stated is that Paul is under the authority of the Jerusalem church 
he went and got the gospel from them, and he somehow either, the argument is, appeasing or appealing to the human desire not to be circumcised, or he's just omitted part of it, or somehow he's created and distorted it to become his own. And his argument is, I didn't receive anything from any human that this is a revelation from and through Jesus Christ. Now, we have to ask ourselves, okay, but when did he receive this? We have no record of this. The only thing we have is the road to Damascus. And many scholars argue, well, that was the revelation. When, when Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, we certainly see that conversion, dramatic conversion, you know, eyes, scales on him and, and he's blinded and he goes and see Ananias and all that. Is there a subsequent revelation? Is there a series of revelations? Because we have a, quite a bit of time between at least, at least um, 17 years from his conversion to when this letter was written. That's a long time. So did he receive it through that period of time? We don't really know. There's a great debate on that. But clearly he's saying, I've received it through Jesus Christ directly. That's what this is. And what we're arguing, too, as Christians, that's what gives his letters authorities. authority. This is the revelation of God through Paul. This isn't, you know, Paul, you know more liberal. It's popular now to say that Paul hijacked Christianity, that it's no longer Christianity, it's Paulanity. It's Paul's religion. Paul no, took it away from Jesus Christ and made it his own. And, and if you read and study the Bible, it's hard to see that unless that's just what you want to do to try and destroy Christianity. But there's a real flavor and sense of, oh, Paul's kind of making it up. An awful lot of our theology is based on the teachings of Paul. I mean, you know that. We went through Romans. We, you know, whenever we go to a Pauline letter, it just lays it out so nicely. And if we believe that's Paul... Then we have reason to go, mm, I don't know. Is he just making this up? Does he just wake up on a Wednesday morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to believe this? Or is it truly being revealed to him by God? Is the Holy Spirit truly giving him truth? And obviously, we believe that that is the way it was. So he talks about his former life. He talks about persecuting the church. And his point is this. I'm not, I wasn't looking for this, okay? I got letters from the high priest in my hand from Jerusalem. I'm headed to Damascus to go get some people, break up the church and grab some people and take them back, get them tried and get them killed. That was my task. I, I, I was doing that. I wasn't looking. I wasn't drawn to the way. I didn't choose the way. I didn't in any way. I'm just doing my thing, trying to destroy this thing, and bam. God, who had pre-chosen me, just intercepted me on the road, and Jesus says, Paul, why are you doing this? Meets him on the road. Very significant. 
Because I'm sure they go, oh, you know, he was attracted to Judaism. He went to Jerusalem. He learned about it. And now he's out incorrectly or incompletely teaching it. And he's going, no, there's no way. I wasn't drawn to Christianity. Christianity was the ultimate of bad things. So he goes on. Talks about that. I was pleased to reveal to me 16 by grace in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me, but I went away, basically goes into the desert. It's interesting because when you read Acts, if we look at Acts 9, it seems like that's exactly what he does, is that he does go up to Jerusalem. You read Acts 9, he has this big conversion moment. Okay? He was in Damascus. He went into the synagogue in 9. They try to persecute him. He escapes Damascus. And the next line we see in 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they're afraid of him. That just... Wait a minute. Didn't that just happen just like that? We always assume a sentence and then another sentence happens as quick as the space between the sentences when in fact there can be multiple years between those sentences. That's just the way it is. We always think of you know, history as it's written in modern times. This happened and then a year and a half later this happened and then this happened and this happened and three years later this Bible doesn't doesn't give us those time increments. So what he's saying here is, no, I it was three years till I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or or Peter, and remained with him fifteen days, and I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he he comes to faith. He he starts proclaiming, and I'm sure it was pretty raw at that time because he's telling about his experience. He's going into the synagogues and going, wow, okay, you know me? I'm Paul, right? I'm the guy that's persecuting the way. I'm the guy that would kill you if you tried to become part of this followers of Christ. And I'm telling you, it's real. I mean, this Jesus Christ is real. This is unbelievable. So he's doing that, and it's between two and three years later before he even goes to Jerusalem. And that's his point. He didn't like get converted, go to Jerusalem. Okay, tell me about this and then go. He's doing it based on what's been revealed to him. And that's significant. So he goes to Jerusalem. He meets Peter, remains with him 15 days. Saw none of the other disciples or the apostles except James, the brother, the Lord's brother. So that's where we get that. You know, you ever go, well, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, wrote the book of James. How do we find out that he's Jesus? It's right here. It's the only place in the Bible that talks about it. And, and it's crazy because when we start talking about the centrality of the apostles in the early church, the guy that's the head of the main church, the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem, is James. He wasn't a disciple. In fact, we don't even know when he came to faith 
because very late on, uh, the, he did, wasn't a believer, we're told, in the Gospels, and then he becomes a believer, we see him here. So he's actually the head of the church, and how do we know that? Because again, that Jerusalem council in Acts 15, everybody argues their case, he makes the decision. He goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they go, okay, sounds good. I mean, what kind of authority is that? That's amazing. That's the James we're talking about here. So he did see James, and, and then he left and went in the region. So he's saying, I just went up to meet him. I, I went up to meet Peter, talked to him for 15 days. We hung out. I heard about what he was doing. And, and then, I, by the way, I did meet James while I was up there. And then I left. And that was it. And um, they, were, they were only hearing, you know, about uh, persecuting the church. And now he's come to faith. And then after 14 years. So we went from three years after conversion to 14 years. After, that's called the, the lost 10 years of Paul's existence. It is. He went off somewhere. You know, we often think that Paul, you know, Paul comes to faith. He's talking to the synagogues. He does this. He goes on his missionary journey. He converts all kinds of people, comes back to Jerusalem, makes the appeal where James says, okay, that sounds good. They don't have to be circumcised. Goes off. No. He's got 10 years that we don't know anything about. That's pretty significant. I hear people all the time say, oh, why is it taking me? Okay, it took Paul 10 years. All right, before we get in a hurry to get somewhere, Paul, you know, the guy, the guy, 10 years. He's sitting up at Tarsus and just kind of doing the circle around Tarsus. Okay, I mean, he went to, you know, he went over to Crosby. He went to, I don't know how far, maybe uh, Hackensack. Probably went down to Little Falls. Maybe he went down to St. Cloud. I mean, that's his world. He's just in that world. Growing. Refining his understanding. God speaking to him. It, it, don't ever, don't ever shortchange a time of, of learning and being with the Lord and getting prepared for something that the Lord's called you to. I do like the line up there in 15 too. But when he had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by grace. What's the significance of Paul being set apart by God before he's even born? What's Paul saying? Yeah, in me. I mean, he chose me before I did anything. I mean, I didn't even take a breath, and he had chosen me. He had set me apart for this. He had, he had decided that this was going to be my path. I mean, I'm destroying the, the way, because that's what it's called at the time. I'm destroying the way all the time God's going, yeah, I set you apart, you know, 35 years ago or whatever. Um, and this is going to be what you're doing. Now, does God cause him to persecute church? No. But he's already decided that he's going to use him. We often have to remember it so often. It, it doesn't mean that it's not about me. It doesn't mean that we can do anything and, and still be 
a minister of the truth. But it also tells us it isn't about us. And we always say, Holy Spirit works in preparation. So don't be lazy. Prepare, 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 prepare. But in the moment, God's going to do what he's going to do. I mean, we all, if you ever, ever taught, preached, anything, you know, because, you, and you know how you know that? Is when you, you give a sermon, let's say, for 25 minutes, and somebody comes up to you and says, wow, that was so powerful when you said X, Y, Z. And you go check the tape. Nope, you never said it. No, you wish you had said it. You said, next time, if I ever get to this text again, I'm going to say it. But that's, that's the Holy Spirit working. Or the, even the weirder thing is when you're up there and, you know, as you know, I got no notes. These are just your questions. Okay, so Wednesday night, I don't have any notes. But on Sunday morning, we have notes because we've got to do it multiple times in a row, right? So, you know, sometimes you're a little tighter in your notes. Sometimes you're, and so you're, you're using your notes. You're going through them. And then all of a sudden, something comes out of your mouth. And you go, wow, where'd that come from? That was pretty cool. I got no idea. Hadn't thought about it all week. Never just boom. Yeah. So you don't have to, you don't have to like sit back and go, oh, I don't have to prepare. But you got to let God, who has chosen you, um, do that. Now, we often also get a little confused sometimes about the call. Our tendency to say, oh, call means, oh, I'm called to specific ministry or to professional ministry or to some kind of thing like that. We are all, everyone in this room is called by God. Okay? You don't believe me? Go to Ephesians 4. Go to Romans 12. And you can find one in almost every one of Paul's letters. We are called. The call just may not be to professional ministry, but you're called to live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very clear. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, don't worry, you're not called. You can do pretty much what you want because you're not called. No, everyone, everyone is called. It's just some are called to professional ministry and some are called to um, just living a life of ministry. So we've got that. We go into two, and let's read then. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, influential, easy for me to say, the gospel that I proclaim among the, uh, the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been 
entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning Gentile, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, Jew, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, God the Holy Spirit. And when James and Cephas, Peter again, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So after 14 years, he goes up to to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus, a Gentile, who obviously was not circumcised. He went up because of a revelation. What's that revelation? Well, if you turn with me to Acts 11, in the second half of Acts 11, we're in the church of Antioch, and they had been uh, scattered Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, remember Stephen was stoned, okay? They spread out, okay? And when they spread out, they took with them the gospel, and they ended up, one of the places they ended up is Antioch. Antioch's on the Antioch, this is Antioch, Syria, is, I wish I had done a map, it's right on the Mediterranean there. If Jerusalem's here, Antioch's here on the Mediterranean. So they go up there, and there are Jews and, and Gentiles, and they're coming to faith. Hellenistic is, is just Greek or a Gentile. And so they go on, and they're going through this, and they're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in 22, the report of this, this coming to faith, this growth, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So people are coming to faith, but there's nobody up. There's no apostle up there. There's there's no buddy of authority. So they sent Barnabas up from Jerusalem up to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, in other words, we saw the gospel advancing and and having an impact, he was glad and he exhorted exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Very many people came to faith. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul, Paul, remember? And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Okay, so Paul's circling Tarsus, right? Okay, he's circling Tarsus, which is up around the northern part of the Med. And, and Barnabas is sent by Jerusalem up to Antioch to see what's going on. He goes up there. He goes, whoa, it's, God's really moving up here. This, I need some help. So he goes up to Tarsus, finds Saul slash Paul, brings him back. And that's the start of what becomes the Antioch uh, mission, which is all three of Paul's missionary journeys uh, come out of Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, okay? Why weren't they called Christians before? Think about it. What were they before? They were a group of people in Jerusalem who were 90% Jews. 
And so they just kind of thought that this is just what? A continuation of Judaism. In fact, let's, let's talk about that. What is Christianity? Really? At this moment in time, in Antioch, what's Christianity? I mean, if you're a Jewish Christian, you're thinking what? It's the next phase of Judaism. This is the fulfillment of Jewish scripture. Jesus Christ is a Jew. Jesus Christ came for the Jew. He came to the Jews, spoke to the Jews, said, I've come to initiate the kingdom of God. Sure, there's a few Gentile references, but really it's all about the Jew. So this is just a continuation of Judaism, and it's the next phase. Why would we call it anything else other than Judaism? Because it's Judaism going along. Or is it a new religion? Is it a totally different thing? My, my graphic skills on a PowerPoint, greatly limited. I drew a picture at lunch, which helped a lot of people see this, and I could not duplicate it in my PowerPoint skills. So, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to do hand motions. Are you ready? I love it. All right, so we're going along. Here's Adam. Okay, here's Abraham, okay, here's Moses, Exodus, the law. Keep going all the way to Jesus, okay? So here's Jesus in this continuum of the people of God. A Jewish Christian sees this as just going beyond Jesus, just going straight line. It's just the continuation of Judaism, Okay? And they look at the Jew as, whoa, they missed it. They took the right-hand turn, the hard right, and missed the fact that we're just going straight, you missed the turn, okay? The problem is we get down a ways, and all of a sudden you look around and you go, wow, almost everyone's a Gentile Christian. Where's all the Jewish Christians? If this is a continuation of Judaism, something happened, the Jews didn't show up. And so what it became is this. At Christ, there's this, and there's Christianity, follow Christ, Judaism, in their mind, continued on pretty much straight, and it became two religions. But what was it meant by God to be? Well, we argue that it's a fulfillment. It's a fulfillment of the law that Christ is the new Jerusalem. He's the new law. He's the new temple. A lot of this is from the first four chapters of Matthew. And that he is the fulfillment of everything that was a type or talked about. So it isn't so much Judaism as the new covenant, the new way, that is called by people Christianity because the center of it was Christ, okay? So, what's a Judaizer? Well, it's a Christian, Jewish Christian, doesn't have to be a Jewish Christian, but they're almost all Jewish Christians, who holds that a Gentile must be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law to be saved. And what's the rationale? 
This is just a continuation of Judaism. And so naturally, you got to be a Jew to be in the line of Judaism. And, and if you're a Gentile, and here's Jesus, okay, and you're on this continuum, and you're a Gentile, and you came to faith here, you got to go back, pick up the Judaism part, and continue on. That's one way of looking at it. The other way is, if you're, if you're a Gentile and you come to faith here after Jesus, to stay in faith, you have to get circumcised and keep the Mosaic Law and all that to, to stay or to complete your salvation. So the Judaizer, not trying to just be a Jew, jerk, they see this as the Jewish faith, and this is the next thing. This is the Messiah that God's been promising all these years. Of course he's a Jew. Of course this is Judaism. Okay? Now, there's something to the name Judaism. Think about what that sounds like. What does Judaism sound like? Sounds like Judah, right? All this has become the religion of the Jew. The one tribe, the southern nation, the remnant. All this collapses. It's no longer the 12 tribes and the Israelites. It's all collapsed down to one set of people. And they say, we are the one tribe that got it. And all the rest of you tribes, okay, now you got to bring half tribe of Benjamin in there, but they just kind of get assumed. Except remember, Paul is a Benjaminite. He's from that half tribe. That's how Paul got to be a Jew. And they're saying, we are the real ones. We're the remnant. We're the people of God, and all those guys aren't. The Judaizers are saying, now we are the more refined from inside the tribe of Judah, we're the ones that are really it, and the rest of you that don't get it are refined. See how it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The problem is, all of a sudden, it explodes, and what's it explode with? All these Gentiles. So the Judaizer eventually goes away, the Jerusalem council, plus they look around and go, this doesn't look anything like Judaism. These people aren't Jews. What happened? And it's interesting that the hub of, of Jewish Christianity is Jerusalem. And, and as the records we have all through the, the life of that church, they always kept the Mosaic Law. They would, get, they would circumcise their children in keeping with, with law. So they were the, the church, the Jewish Christian church, for all those years until even when the temple's destroyed in 70, which is where they met up until that time, they kept meeting, okay? And in 135, one more rebellion, all of Jerusalem gets wiped out, and that's the last we hear of the Jewish Christians. So they survived from 33, let's say, when Jesus was crucified, to 135 all that time which is fascinating when you think about it. And James, if you ever read James, even though he said Gentiles don't have to become, he lived as a Jew, as a Christ-following Jew. So, little context there before we just go nuts on. So, Judaizers, again, they are not Jews anymore. 
they're Jewish Christians, okay, who believe that you have to become a Jew. In other words, you have to be circumcised, keep the law. And they're the ones, the instigators as they're called, the insurgents as they're called, have come and said to the, to the Gentiles in, uh, in uh, Galatia, yeah, this is what you got to do. Now he goes on, and I'm still in Acts 11. He goes on now in 27. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Erebus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That's why Saul went back, 14 years later, to Jerusalem. That's what he's doing there at that time. Remember, things were better outside of Judea. So they did an offering, the Gentiles did an offering, and Paul and Barnabas took it to the church in Jerusalem, to the Jewish Christians, and said, here you go. Here's this money that we've collected. Okay, let's go on. So he says, even Titus, uncircumcised Greek, who was in Jerusalem with these authorities that the Judaizers are quoting, and they didn't make him be circumcised. So clearly, they don't think circumcision is a requirement. Why they were there making this offering, they talk about how some spies, as he says it, slipped in and tried to argue against this idea of not having to become a Jew to be a Christian. But that they, what, did not yield at all. In other words, they argued hard against them. They would not give them any ground. And in, in their mind, they're preserving the truth of the gospel for all Gentiles, all Gentile Christians. And then they met with these pillars, these three, you know, he, he kind of does it tongue-in-cheek. He says they're not special, but then to credential himself, he goes, and I met with him. I met with him, so they, you know, they, they said they agreed with me, though they don't really mean anything, but if you think they mean somebody, they agreed with me. I love that kind of, you ever do that? You know, I know this doesn't mean anything, but here, you know. So he met with them. They affirmed Okay, and he wanted to make sure he wasn't running his race in vain, remember? He wasn't doing something that the church was going to later say, nope, not do it. And so he, they agree with him. They receive, you know, with grace what's been given him. They agree they're going to continue to go to, to Jewish Christians or to go to Jews. He's going to go to, to Gentiles, which is, is amazing, um, I mean, not to say success, not success, but very quickly it becomes a Gentile religion. So what is Peter? What would he have said when you go, Peter, uh, how come no Jews are coming to faith? I mean, that's the people you've been sent to. Not, and we're not saying, Peter, why aren't you more effective? Because we know it's the work of God. But you're wondering what Peter's thinking. 
he's toiling, he's trying to advance the gospel, and he's seen out in the, you know, diaspora, out the Greco-Roman world, all these Gentiles coming to faith, and the Jew will not generally give him the time of day. So whenever you see this, you always got to go, wow, how'd that feel? And so they gave him, they agreed, said, yes, what you're preaching is truth. They give him the hand of fellowship. And they say, just remember the poor. As the very act of why they're there is remembering the poor. Remember, that's a very strong part of uh, Judaism, to remember the widow, the orphan, and the, and the poor. So that's our section as we lay a foundation. And he's going he's gonna to really get next week, start laying into this, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be with Christ? So grab a Bible and go in your discussion group.